It controls everything from your microwave oven to your smartphone, all the way to the engine in your car. Sometimes you go to the mechanic, and the mechanic doesn't listen to the car engine anymore. He plugs it into a computer. The software is intensely complicated. But then what about the universe itself? The fact that it's there and the fact that the, the amount of, of spinning and vibrating and moving of all of these planetary objects is intensely complicated, operating according to laws. I thought about an um, a, uh, Airbus 380 cockpit. You know, it takes tens of thousands of hours of training to be able to sit behind those computer screens and fly that um, uh, airplane. Incredibly complicated. But there are some things that are, some very important things that were made simple so that anybody could understand and enjoy. Like getting to ride on the Airbus that takes tens of thousands of hours of training. You know what it takes for you to get on and enjoy the ride? A seatbelt. That woman gets up there and she says, to enjoy your flight, she pulls out a seatbelt and she says, buckle up. <laughs> Aren't you glad it's that simple? Aren't you glad? Amen? But it's not only being able to ride on a big, fancy airplane, but it's simple to get born again. I want to talk about the simplicity that's in Christ this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 11, and when you found that, let's bow in prayer. Father, just thrill our hearts and, and open our minds and our hearts to the simplicity that's in Christ and how important... It is to understand that the devil has made and, and our, our, our society has made everything so complicated that we think that it's the same with trying to get forgiven, same with trying to get born again. Lord, you made it simple. May it be simple enough for somebody this morning to start all over and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. I pray that you, like a child, would believe it and would from this day forward join in that happy band of people who have a testimony of a day and an hour where they once were lost, but then they became found. Lord, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word today. Meet with us today on this very special celebratory day. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Would to God ye would bear with me a little in my folly. He says, I'm kind of acting a little crazy today. So put up with me, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be, watch these words, corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Or if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which he have not received, or another gospel, which he have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Now, <clears throat> just stopping there, I want you to see, Paul says, I'm jealous. And he says there's a right kind of jealousy. It's not envy. He's not envying somebody's car or envying somebody's clothes. He's jealous, which means he's protective. He's concerned. Because there's a lot of competition going on right now for the hearts and minds and lives of people. I mean, a lot of competition. And all that competition kind of drowns out messages like we hear on a Sunday morning. I can't, I can't compete. I can't put up a great show like they show down at the Gaiety Theater. I can't perform like they do down at the RDS. All that competition drowns out a simple message like what I'm going to preach this morning, but I'm still going to push back. I'm going to say what I've got to say about the simplicity in Christ is the most important thing for anybody to hear. So I'm a little jealous. I'm a little worried and going, you know what? They got too much media attention. They got too much of uh, television time. They got too much of people's attention. <clears throat> so I hope I've got your attention this morning. And like Paul, I and every Bible-leaving pastor has worked hard, tirelessly. He says, verse 2, I'm jealous over you with godly je jealousy, for I have espoused you. I've worked hard like a matchmaker. <laughs> I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste. That means a clean, controlled, good Chaste, virgin to Christ. That's a lot of work to get somebody right enough to claim, to claim that. <clears throat> he 
You know, the Apostle Paul worked tirelessly to get people to worry about right things and important things. People worry about their weight. They worry about their looks. They worry about the kind of car they drive. They worry about the kind of car they don't drive. They worry about what their friends think. They lose a friend on Facebook and they want to crawl under a rock somewhere. I say good riddance, man. They worry about how they'll do on their exams. They worry about all the wrong things. You know, in a brief moment, all that stuff fades into the dust. My job is to get people to worry about their soul, to worry about whether they have a right relationship with God. I work hard to get people to follow one life, not mine, not yours, but one solitary life, one man's life, the life of Jesus Christ. And I work hard to get you to love him supremely. I mean, just like a woman getting ready to get married, she ought to be in love with that man, amen? And just like anybody who claims to be a Christian ought to be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, passionately, constantly, crazy love of Jesus Christ. We work hard to get you like that. I mean, I, I worry, I worry that most people come in here and haven't read their Bible all week, haven't spent 10 minutes the whole week just praising God and thanking God, not asking for anything, just, just loving Him. I worry about that. Kind of jealous. I kind of jealous you cry over the fact I'm going to hit up. Don't don't get upset, you South Africans. But I'm 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 worried that some South African Christians cried over yesterday's defeat. <laughs> you got to worry about the right things, amen. And I worry that people don't weep over lost souls. Don't worry. Don't weep and worry about their own condition, their own distance from God, their own coldness towards God. Someone, there is someone who's working full-time corrupting everything that God does. You read it there in verse 3. He says, for I fear, lest by any means, by the way, when I start to preach about the devil, everything will go wrong. Don't worry. <clears throat> I fear, I preached one time on three wonderful things about the devil, and the lights went out. And they were not wonderful, by the way. That was tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but uh, I was in a church of 350 people, and the lights went out, man. Just when you go preaching, just believe me. I fear, lest by any means, verse 3, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And he goes on, he says, if he, another man, another preacher, somebody on the television, somebody on the radio, somebody on the internet, he comes along and he preaches another Jesus, you might just say, I like him. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, you go, well, I like that. Somebody come along and present a whole different gospel which ye have not accepted. Ye might well bear with him. I, I, there's somebody out there soiling and ruining Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. And, we're, and, and just ruining everything that God is trying to do in people's minds. By the way, he ruins love and he turns it into lust. Amen. Fills a man's mind and a, a woman's life with pornography. Corrupts children with abuse and hatred. Makes fun of and mocks anything that is clean and pure and good. That's the devil. Somebody tries to keep their mind pure, and what do the friends do? Send them filthy texts all day, all night. Yeah. I know how it works. And he does it subtly. He doesn't come knocking on the door going, I'm going to ruin your life. That's not how the devil comes up. He comes up through a girlfriend, a boyfriend comes up to a movie that seems like a good chick flick and then it turns really intimate. And you start to wonder, you know, who's all behind this? I know who it is. His name is Satan. He does it subtly, very deceptive, just like the snake came into, the, into that garden. And he came up to Eve and Eve didn't think anything about it. There's a talking snake. Let's find out what he's got to say. Amen. You know, the devil's been doing this thing, uh, uh, soiling, corrupting, ruling, deceptively, all the way from the Garden of Eden. And, and we don't have time to go back there, but he did whatever it took to turn Adam and Eve away from God. He lied. He twisted everything God said. He made God out to be evil. And he said, Eve, you're the victim. What a way he works. Makes you worry about all your problems and all the things that go wrong. And you say, why God? That's the devil. The devil sitting there. He's, he's corrupting the worship of God so that you get mad at God. Isn't that funny? You know what's sad? Satan succeeded. He turned Eve, who turned Adam, who turned the whole world against God. You know what? Even sadder, he's still at it today. He gives people false confidence. 
He makes people think they're doing fine without God. I don't need God. I don't have any need, re- reason to need God, really. He comes along and he promotes false preachers. I mean, these guys, anybody comes along, they got five gold rings on their fingers. Anybody who's got a, a, a their private jet, anybody who's got a, got a, a, a following and ha- uh, able to gather tens of thousands of people to come and, and give them 250,000 euros for them to speak for one hour. I mean, yeah, you, you, you think that person's, that person's a good person. That person's a, a great person. And you better check them out. Because Jesus said, woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Gives false preachers, false uh, 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 false Jesuses. You know, um, uh, there, there are all these kind of Jesuses today. Since the 1960s, we've had the hippie Jesus, then the wimpy Jesus, the failure Jesus, the genie Jesus, the non-existent Jesus. And now today in the, 19, in, in the 20, 2000s, it's the designer Jesus. It just basically fits anything that we want for the moment. But that's, that's where you go from church to church. It's not the same, is it? You go to one church and you hear about one Jesus. You go to another church, it's another Jesus. You watch on television, it's the Jesus that never existed. You know what Paul preached? One Jesus. Today he's given uh, uh, wrong spirits. I mean, this day and age, a lot of people say we're not spiritual. I believe, uh, uh, I believe people are more spiritual than ever. Just the wrong spirit. I mean, the spirits that run your home, spirits that run your heart, the spirits that control your relationships, the spirits that control your desires and your acts and your reflexes, you don't know how many spirits are influencing you. It's a wrong spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. The problem is even Christians don't know how to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and unholy spirits. The devil's given wrong spirits and he's promoting also false hope and false gospels. People have, uh, uh, they have this idea that the gospel means you've got to keep the law. Somebody else says, well, in order for you to get to heaven, uh, uh, just, just accept the love of Jesus and you'll get straight to heaven no matter how you live. False gospels seek only to help people. You know, there are gospels out there that are only about money. How to get rich in the next 36 minutes or your money back. <laughs> false, false gospels tell you that to please God, you've got to destroy your enemies. That's false gospels. You know, I'm afraid. Verse 3, Paul says there back in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I fear. I'm afraid. I, I, uh, I'm afraid that, that people are blind. I'm afraid that Satan is succeeding absolutely all the time at blinding our, our nation and our world to all the condition they're going through. I mean, the condition, you think about, so you, you come on a Sunday morning for two hours. There's 166 more hours during the week. Look at how much time the devil's got to influence you, condition you, program you, and you think that my little speech on a Sunday morning is going to make a difference? Not unless you intensely in, uh, uh, listen and you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. Because if I'm going to motivate you, the devil will demotivate you. I'm afraid. Satan succeeds. People do just as they always do and um, uh, just follow the world around them. This morning, folks, he's succeeding with Christians. I watch them fall away. You know, the 22 years, really, I've seen people come. I've seen people get excited. I've seen people get saved, baptize them, and then they walk away. You say, what happened? Uh, corruption. They got interested in something a little more complicated than Jesus. And they got interested in something that's a little bit more exciting than Jesus. They got up to the new Bibles, got the new music, got the new preachers, got the new uh, girlfriends, got the new cars, got the new everything, not knowing that they exchanged the simplicity of Christ for a lie. Folks, corrupting the simplicity that is in Christ alone, can you imagine that? I mean, to, to ruin something so beautiful, you think of a little... A little boy, a little girl, and you dress them up for church. And then they go out the front door without you knowing, and they see a friend. And that friend says, let's go play. And down they start rolling down the hills. 
and they get up and they jump out of the trees and stuff like that. And they come inside just 15 minutes later and they're filthy, dirty, and you got to start all over with them. You know, that's just innocence. That's just what a friend does or whatever. The devil doesn't play innocence. He likes taking people who are clean, who decide on Sunday morning they're going to live right, and on Monday morning or Sunday night, and he starts pulling away and starts soiling and corrupting and ruining you. So by next Sunday, you don't even want to try again. This morning, I want to balance that influence. I want to push back on it. I want to go head-to-head with the corruption and present the power of the simplicity of Jesus Christ this morning. I want to present just how simple a believer has it in Christ and how much better it is. If you'll stay with me, I think you'll think you'll agree. First, got to start off here with Christ's simple life. You see, I read a story years ago, and I just reread it this week, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It was written by a guy named Dr. James Allen Francis in 1926. Listen to his words. called One Solitary Life. Born in an obscure village called Bethlehem, to a poor man and woman. He worked with his stepfather in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three and a half years, he was an itinerant preacher, proclaiming a simple message and living a unique life. He never wrote a book. He never held political office. He never raised an army. He never had a family of his own. He never owned a house. He never went to university. He was a plain kind of a man who didn't stand out, stand out from the crowd physically. He never traveled more than 100 miles from the place where he was born. He gathered a little group of friends around him and taught them his way of life. While still a young man, the tide of popular feeling turned against him. One friend denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies, where he went through the mockery of a public trial. He was nailed to a cross between two convicted convicted thieves. And on that cross, he died. And when he was proven to be dead, his body was laid in a borrowed grave because he had left no money for his own burying. Three days later, he rose from that tomb and appeared to his disciples quite alive. Forty days later, he ascended back up to heaven where he had come from. Today, we can look back across 2,000 years and see the influence of this man from Galilee. All the armies that have ever marched, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned are absolutely pitiful in their influence on mankind compared to what that one solitary life did. That life of a Jesus that we know is the Son of God. When he taught people, uh, when he taught people, he sat amongst them, speaking eye to eye and heart to heart. He spoke with great authority and yet with complete humility. That's why fishermen like Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their nets and abandoned their livelihood to follow him. That's why tax collectors like Matthew left their wealth and their income just to follow him. That's why children ran up to him, sat in his lap, all because his life was so amazingly simple and it was so captivating. You know, not only was his life simple, but his words were simple. Go to Mark chapter 2, if you will. Mark chapter 2. Just read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those entire books were devoted to the words of Jesus Christ. You know what you'll find? You'll find out that Jesus mainly used one and two-syllable words. One and two-syllable words. Amen. The majority of his words when he spoke to the crowds were simple words. He used short sentences. Looking at Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, look at this. Just briefly run through this. Watch one event. Again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, carried of four of his friends. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press of all the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And they and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed whereon the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, watch these very long, extensive theological words. No, watch it. He says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Full stop. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? 
And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it be easier to say unto the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, which is easier, or which is more more impossible, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed and go thy way unto thine house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Jesus, in so few words, overwhelmed everybody in that crowd. He says, You're forgiven. They said, How can he do that? What's his theological implications? Has he discussed this with the other Pharisees? What can, how can he do that? He says, Let me ask you this. Is it easier to say that or to say, rise up and walk? I tell you what, I'll do this to prove I can do that. Rise up and walk. Very simple. Out goes the man. Woo, I'm walking. I'm healed. And everybody's just gobsmacked by the simplicity of the words of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go to John chapter 4. You're in Mark. Go to the right. Find John chapter 4. He used short sentences. Even other times, he would just be silent when everybody else would be arguing and fighting among themselves. John chapter 7, verse 45. <clears throat> what did I say? John chapter 7. I apologize. John seven, forty-five. Pharisees had sent some soldiers to go and capture Jesus, and then they came back to the Pharisees. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to him, uh, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. You know, you asked me a question you say, Pastor, can you explain this? I may be with you for a half hour trying to explain, trying to run through different things. You know how Jesus answers? Short and sweet. His words were simple. Absolutely profound. But aren't you glad his words are simple? That's our Savior. The simplicity that's in Christ. His expectations are simple. Just stir in your heart just for a second. Realize this great truth, all right? He said these words, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Just come to me. Didn't say go to my mother. Didn't say go to my disciples. He didn't say go to my church. He didn't say go to the baptism. He said just come to me. Isn't that wonderful? He said also in Matthew chapter 9, he said, follow me. He came to a man, Matthew's there, his name at first was Levi, he's working away, taking taking people's money and skimming off the top and sitting on the side, lining his pockets with gold and silver. There he was, Jesus came and passed by and said, follow me, and he emptied everything out, dumped it, threw it over to the next guy and says, I'm gone, and he followed Jesus Christ. Two words, follow me. His expectations are very simple. John chapter 6, you're in John, go to John chapter 6, verse 28. His expectations, come, follow, believe. Look at John chapter 6, verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto him, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. I just, I just can't tell you how simple that is. What's the thing we got to do? Jesus, what do we have to do that we might do what God says? Believe on him that he has sent, pointing to himself. Believe on me. He's basically saying, just worry about what I think you should do and what I think you shouldn't do. Don't worry about priests and imams. Don't worry about parents or siblings. Don't worry about questions and confusions. Don't have expectations of weight or looks or intelligence or skin color, or past failures. You know why? Because God doesn't. Amen. Just do as he did. Just just speak as he did. Just love as he did. And the rest, leave to him. You know, I'm going to go back to here. I'm grateful for Christ's simple instructions. They're not easy. (laughs) Don't get the idea that just because they're simple doesn't mean they're easy. I mean, husbands, love your wives. Those are simple words, but they ain't easy. Right? 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Those are simple words. You tell me it's easy. Amen? It's not. How about children? Obey your parents in the Lord. Those are simple words. The simplicity of the instructions of the Bible are right there. Somebody says, I can't get these kids to obey. I know. But the simple instructions, you got to make them obey. Amen? you got to love your wife. You gotta gather together on, on Sunday at church. That's, that's our simple instructions. I appreciate simple instructions. How many of you have ever had to, on a, on a Christmas Eve, sit down and make something that said some assembly required? And you pulled it open and it's written in Japanese and Korean and Welsh and the English part is all smooth. Amen. And, and it says, insert part 17F to G12, you know. I'm just glad for simple instructions, amen. I may have to work on it for the rest of my life. But I'm glad for simple instructions. His warnings were simple. You're in John. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 18. Before we will ever accept the good news of the gospel, we need to hear and know the bad news. Jesus spent three and a half years warning and waking people up to the facts of their soul's condition. He never minced words. He never did political correctness. Uh, Jesus didn't waste time warning of global warming and global cooling. In the 1970s, they said the next ice age was just around the corner. Then the 1990s, we're in the global warning. Now they can't make up their mind. It's just called climate change. By the way, that's how it always has been. Now, I believe that we're messing up the planet. I believe we're, we're putting rubbish where we shouldn't be. If anybody wants to, to go through the uh, and, and study about the Pacific, the Pacific has a pile of rubbish the size of the state of Texas floating in it because of our water bottles that we chug and then chunk and they, Ireland used to do it. They used to dump all their rubbish seven miles out from Dublin, folks. All of their sludge, all of their sewage, just putting it out. We've done damage to the planet. But global warming, don't worry about it. The Big Bang didn't happen. It's going to happen. That's the one to worry about. But we'll talk about that another time. He didn't worry about and warn about World War III. He didn't war, warn us about the nuclear holocaust or financial disasters. You know what he said, John, uh, John chapter 3, verse 18? He says, we're in trouble with God. John three eighteen. He that believeth on him, speaking of himself, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation. We use the word damnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, Jesus didn't mince words. He says, you're wicked and you're in trouble with God. And you know what's true about it? We know it. We know it. We have a conscience that tells us that. Not our parents didn't always have to tell us and remind us. There's something inside. That's why billions of people all across this planet go to church, go to temple, go to religion, because they're trying to deal with guilt. They know they're in trouble. They know they are. Not only that, we don't even know God himself. Look at John chapter 8, verse 17. John chapter 8, in verse 17. John 8, 17. Is it not written in your law, Jesus said? John 8. 17. Is it not written in your law that the testimony of two men is true? I am one that bear witness of myself. I can tell you what I know. And the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. He's the second. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, Jesus speaking, ye should have known my father also. Wow. Um, Let me see how far I'm supposed to read down to verse 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Um, uh, We don't even know God. You know, it's kind of like a blind man trying to find a light bulb. People go looking for God, and they're trying to find God. You can turn the light on, turn the light off. Men love darkness rather than light. They can't find God. And... He warns, 
that people don't, don't know God. He also warns that we live out our lives doing not the will of God. The Pharisees said, let's please God, let's love God, let's worship God by killing Jesus Christ. By making fun of him. By trying to find fault with him. By trying to persecute his, his, uh, his disciples. Well, let's look at John chapter 8, verse 44. Still in the same chapter. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. But the first part is the killer. He says, you're just following the lusts of your father. And he's speaking to religious people who are living out their lives doing the will, not of God, but of the devil. The saddest part is not only do we not know God, not only are we not doing the will of God, in all our lives, the saddest part, we don't know how to get right on our own. Look at verse 21. Back to John 8, 21. Then said, uh, said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, oh, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I'm not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, I am the Messiah, ye shall die in your sins. He's telling them, you don't even know how to get right without me. As long as you fight me and turn away from me, you'll never get right with God. His warnings were simple, very simple. You'll die in your sins. What a, what a, I, I'm glad God made it simple. Somebody says, Jesus never talked about people's sins. They never read the Bible. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Amen. And his gospel, this is the best part. Not only is his life simple, his words, not only his warnings, but his gospel is simple. Now, I know the devil and religion society makes everything complicated. God made getting saved the simplest thing that a child could do it. When Jesus is asked by somebody to get saved, think about this for a minute. When you find any description of the Bible how to get saved, you'll find it in no more than two sentences. Jesus and the rest of the Bible will say how to get saved in one and no more than two verses of Scripture, two sentences. I'll prove it. Look at Mark chapter 1. You're in John. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. After that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching. What was he preaching? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And he's saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. That sounds kind of simple to me. Did he go on? No, he finished right there. Turn over to John, back to John now. John chapter 1, verse 10. John chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. You with me? John chapter 1, verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own people received him not. But as many as, what? Received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Look at John chapter 3. Just two pages over, find John chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Jesus just repeats it over and over. Verse 13, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, talking about on the cross, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, here it is again, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's not changing, he's just repeating. 
For God, 17, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. I don't care if you're Jewish, Muslim, Greek, American, Irish, uh, Texan, uh, North Irish, those are bad, French, Italian, uh, Orthodox, Atheist, doesn't matter who you are. Look at that verse. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed, believed, believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What sends a person to hell? Refusing the cure. You're sitting in a hospital, you're dying. Doctor says we got to operate and you refuse. Go ahead and die. Go ahead and die. You've got the choice. You do that with your soul, you'll regret it for all eternity. Gospel simple. Look at Acts chapter 16. Go to the right, find Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 27. Paul and Silas have been put in prison just for preaching, just for upsetting some people's religions. Acts chapter 16, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, all the doors have opened miraculously. The keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, Acts 16, 27, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. It's called Harry Carry. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled, but Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, this, this jailer, and he sprang in. I mean, he jumps in. And he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And can you imagine Paul saying, uh, bring me canon law. I better read out of page 469. And I better start with, with penance. And I better get you a crucifix. And I better go get you an imam. And I better go get you the bishop. And I better... Do you, do you realize what we think it takes to get right with God? compared to what actually it takes. Look at what the absolute greatest question of all. What do I have to do to get saved? Paul, Silas, you talk about being born again. You sing about it just the last several hours. How do I get saved? Look at verse 30. Sirs, I know, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Isn't that simple? Isn't that awesome? Look at... uh, 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 Romans chapter 6. Go to the right. Romans chapter 6. Verse 23. Romans 6, 23. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of my sin, your sin, our sin is what? We're all going to die. That's the wages of our sin. If you didn't sin, you could live forever. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Ah, watch the next verse. Through who? Do you see any church in there? Anybody see baptism in there? Anybody see good works in there? Anybody see a lot of money in there? Nope, it's through Jesus Christ. You want to get to heaven? Get him. You want to stay out of heaven? Ignore him. It's that simple. Aren't you glad? Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. Just a few pages to the right. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. But what saith it? What says the Bible? The word is nigh thee. It's even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Not the word of works. Not the word of, of, a, of a religion. But the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth simply the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's forgiveness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that what? Just call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad the gospel's simple? Thank you, sir. I, I have that doing that, and I forgot it was on. 
Aren't you glad that's simple? I told you the devil always interferes. I'll show you the most simple verse out of the entire Bible. You ready? Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Middle of your Bible, go to the right from that, find Isaiah 45. If you get to Jeremiah, gone too far. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22. Look how simple this is. This is Old Testament. Look how simple it is. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved. How many? All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty simple. Just look unto him. Just trust him. Just believe with all your heart that he came into this world, lived the perfect life you never could live, died in your place so that you could go free. Could it really be that easy? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Yes. You know, if God didn't make it this simple, if God didn't make it this simple, then only the theologians be able to get eternal life. Only the very, very good people would have a chance to get forgiven. Only the very hardworking and energetic people would be on their way to becoming right with God. But he made it so simple a child could get it. He made it so simple a thief dying on a cross could get saved. It is easy for you and me. But I'll tell you this, it was not easy for God. You have to think about the fact that God had to account for every wrongdoing, every sin, every broken law, every debt that mankind has ever accumulated. And then God had to completely pay off every sin, every wrongdoing, and every debt of every last person who will ever live. To do that, he had to live an absolutely perfect life from start to finish. He had to love without partiality. He had to humble himself constantly. And in the end, he had to suffer horrendously the punishment that was righteously due to all of us. Now, some people I know have quite strange events happen that make them think they're okay with God. (laughs) I read, and I know a man, he lives over in Blarney. He said, I was driving my car. My wife had been praying for me, telling me I need to get born again. And lightning hit my car. I was in a coma, floating over the air, looking down on my body. And I heard God say, I love you. And I said to God, I love you too. And then I came back into my car and I said, Woo! And I've been driving ever since. Okay. Mm. I met another woman who said she was, she had been to Lord, she had been to Marjagori. She was getting ready to go up to knock for the third time. She says angels regularly appear at the foot of her bed and comfort her and tell her she's okay. Hmm. Met another woman up. Oh, they were all in Blarney, by the way. I mean, <laughs> and then met another woman who claimed to have died and visited heaven before she was revived. She says it's wonderful. It is wonderful. They're not just angels there. There are people there. <laughs> I said, really? I said, how long are you there? About six years. Okay, time was no difference, and I came right back, and I've been telling everybody, telling everybody, get ready to go to heaven. We're all going to heaven. You know, when I think of the great day of judgment, and I stand before the Lord God Almighty, and he looks into my face, and he says, Craig, by what right do you enter into my beautiful city and walk on my golden streets? Suppose I say, Lord, I saw a light from heaven. It was a great experience. You know what Satan's going to do? He's going to laugh. He's going to joke in the loudest way. Listen to Ledbetter. Craig says he saw an angel. Craig says he saw a bolt of light. And he thinks he's been converted. (laughs) I gave him that light. I caused that lightning to fall. I am the angel of light. (laughs) As he drags me to hell. So on that great and final day of the Lord, when I stand before the Lord God Almighty and he asks me, by what right do I enter into that beautiful city? And I say, I saw an angel, Lord, and he spoke to me. And he, he told me I was okay, Lord. The devil will laugh. The devil will keel over and laugh himself silly and say, I was that angel. I sent 
that I became that image to keep you from trusting Jesus Christ as he drags me down to hell. So one day when I stand at the judgment, and you and I will be there, we'll all be there, and the Lord will look into my face one at a time, one at a time as he looks in each one of us, as he looks into my face, and he asks, by what right, Craig, do you have the right to enter, to dare to enter into my beautiful city and walk on my streets of gold? I cannot point to an angelic appearance. I cannot point to a ball of lightning, but I can point to a promise. Go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Do you know what I'm going to say? I'll turn over to the first chapter of the book of the Gospel of John. I'll open up to one of my favorite verses. It was the second scripture I ever memorized. I'll turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'll remind the Lord. I'll say, Lord, you remember way back yonder when I was 17 years old, a little town just north of Austin called Cedar Park. After hearing Pastor Jack Humbert preach week after week after week to those people there in that little church, then on that one Sunday evening, no lightning, no angelic appearance, no warm, fuzzy, ooey-gooey feeling, just the fear of God. And I heard you, I heard Pastor Jack plead from that pulpit, over and over. Is there somebody today who will trust Jesus as his or her Savior? Don't join the church tonight. Don't give up all your sins tonight. Don't, don't decide to be a better person tonight. Just cling to Jesus. Cry out to him with all your heart and accept him. Accept that free gift of eternal life. And I'll look up and I'll remind the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm not trusting a miracle. I'm not trusting a feeling. I'm not trusting an angel. I'm not trusting an experience. I'm just trusting what you said. I'm taking you at your word. To receive Jesus Christ, to believe on his name, will make me a son of God. God, if that didn't work, ain't nothing will. That's what I'm going to say. You know what? Then I'll wait for Satan to laugh, and he won't laugh. I'll look around for Satan, and he'll be gone. Hallelujah. Because he has no grip on a person who follows Jesus. He has no grip on someone who just believes the simple words of Jesus. He has no power over a person who simply trusts the warnings and the commands of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Could it really be that easy? I'm glad it is. Let's review. We've got one simple life, one single solitary life of Jesus Christ, compared to Satan's corruption of over 4,000 leaders, many of them claiming themselves to be Christ to be Jesus, to be married to Mary Magdalene. All over the world, you have 4,000 religious leaders vying for our people's worship. 20,000 religions. I'm glad for the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, I appreciate the simple words that I believe and live by compared to the 135 volumes of Catholic tradition. The Quran, the Hadith, uh, the Hadith of Islam, the Hindu Vedas and the Bhagavad Gita. I can't even say it. Gita. And all the list goes on and on. I'm glad for the simplicity of the words of Jesus Christ. I'm glad for his simple expectations compared to all the stress today, just trying to live up to impossible expectations. No wonder people don't want to go to church anymore. They can't handle the expectations of the boss. They can't handle the expectations of their wife. They can't handle the expectations of their husband. They can't handle the expectations of their kids. They can't handle the expectations of their friends. And you try to come to church and you think God has a whole other list of expectations. No wonder they don't want to come to church. I'm glad for Christ's simple expectations, amen? Just follow him. Just worry about him. Just find out what he wants to do and then do it. You know, all the warnings that he gives, those are the ones that are important compared to the innumerable conflicting warnings that you hear. You turn on the television and it's ISIS. Next week, it's it's some group in Australia. The next week, it's some group from Indonesia. It's, it's constant. I'm going to worry about what Christ told me to worry about. Fear not them that are able to kill the body. But fear him who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. That's the one I worry about. I'm glad for the simple good news. Hey, page after page after page. 
one sentence it takes to tell somebody how to get saved. I sat down with two Mormons, came to our house, they came to our house, they came out. Third time, second time, I says, you're allowed to come back one more time. If you sit down and, and I'll let you tell me how you think I should get to heaven, if you let me tell you how the Bible says to get to heaven. They came in, sat down, I said, start. Half hour went on. You got to keep the law. You got to be a good person. Got to go to temple. Got to hopefully uh, go visit Utah. I stopped him at 30 minutes. I says, you're no better than a Catholic priest. You'll tell me everything I think you think I uh, want you to say. Well, I'm going to tell you this in 30 seconds. I can tell you you're lost. You're going to hell and you must trust Jesus Christ alone. Out the gate and across the finish line in 30 seconds. I said, bye-bye. <laughs> and off they went. It doesn't take four hours to explain the gospel, amen? It doesn't take a half hour. Simple good news. You follow anything else the devil will... If you're doubting your salvation, if you have asked Jesus Christ to save you, if you have cried out on your knees, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. If you believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again for your sins, and you still doubt, that's a corruption of the devil. He messed with your head, messed with your mind. He's messed with your, your future and your sanity. I'm just glad for the simple good news that gives me assurance. For whosoever, shall, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Done deal. You know, there's one all-important personal experience that a Christian, that a person, that everybody needs to experience. Think about the zillions of experiences that people have to experience just to be happy. You only need one. Where you bow the knee and you confess that you're lost and without hope and without God. And you cry out to God to have mercy on your soul. It'll be the greatest experience you'll ever experience. Amen. You know how we know all that? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by simple two-letter word, me. Aren't you glad God made it simple? The simplicity. I fear, Paul said, that just as the serpent beguiled Eve, so Satan would corrupt the simplicity of Christ in your mind. Here's your conclusion. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. What is it like? What does it mean to trust Jesus? What does those words mean? Are those religious code words, Pastor? <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Is that right? I'm looking for the verse. That's not the right verse. For I know whom I have believed. There we are. Thank you. 2 Timothy 1.12. Look at this. For the which cause I suffer these things. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, now Paul's going through a hard time. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have. What? I know Jesus whom I believed. And I am persuaded, I am sure, I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Look at that. I know Jesus, he says. I believe, I trust, I just rest in him. And I'm convinced that he is able. Aren't you glad you and I ain't able? Say, Pastor, save me. I'll walk away from you. <laughs> Don't look at me, man. Say, Pastor, how do I get saved? What church do I go to? What, 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 what pilgrimage do I go on? None of them. None of them are able to save you. He is able. He is able to keep that which I've committed. What do you give to God? Do you give him a few coins? Do you give him a few hours on the week? Or do you give him your soul? I swapped my sin for his righteousness. I gave him my soul. He gave me eternal life. I give him every day of my life, folks. He's able to keep it. You want to stay safe? Now, you'll go through trouble, but you'll stay sane. And you'll come out on the other end a finisher. Paul said to keep, I'm, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against the judgment day. Amen. Amen. That's what it means. It means to commit to him your soul and your very life. Trust in Jesus. Not trusting yourself. Not trusting your church. Not trusting your religion. Not trusting your sacraments but simply looking to Jesus, simply trusting Jesus to save you and keep you forever. Hmm. Will you accept him now?
I don't know. I fear the devil's confused people and kept people from making any commitment. I know what it was like when I got saved 17 years ago. I put up a fight. I sat there and I worried about, well, what does this mean for me? Does it mean I can't go have any fun anymore? What does this mean? My friends will leave me. Everything goes through my head. You know what the pastor said? I mean, it was like the devil was working on me and God was, was, was talking to the pastor and the pastor said what I need to hear. He said, if you're lost tonight and you're thinking about all the reasons why you shouldn't get saved and why you can't get saved and why getting born again is just too scary for you and too hard for you and too embarrassing for you, let me tell you this. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anything else because there ain't nothing worth going to hell for. Don't go to hell for your mom. Don't go to hell for your friends. Don't go to hell for your wife. Don't go to hell for anything. You need to get saved. And I mean, it was like a like a boulder coming down on me. I mean, he's right. <laughs> so the 15th of June, 1980, Sunday night, 9.15 p.m., I surrendered all. I said, I give up. And I asked Jesus to save me. You need to do that too. Would you stand with me and bow your heads in prayer? Jesus Christ paid for your ability to be born again this morning. If you're already saved, you ought to say amen. But if you're not saved, if you're not born again, this isn't about religion. This isn't about the law. This isn't about theology. This is about Jesus Christ. One solitary life. Paul fought him all his life. Finally, one day, Jesus spoke to him and says, it's kind of hard kicking against me, isn't it? Kind of the wrong fellow to fight. Paul said, I quit. I'm not fighting anymore. Are you fighting? Ladies and gentlemen, are you fighting? It's time to quit. That simple life of Jesus Christ compared to what the devil offers, what other religions and other other teachers and other groups and everything else, how would you turn anywhere else? If you're saved this morning, I want with an uplifted hand saying, I praise God, I know I'm saved, my hand going up, just testifying by the grace of God. Not that I'm any good, not that I'm a great prayer. You can put your hand up, put it down. Not that I am, am, am a good Christian. There's nothing I brought to God except my sin. But I know I'm saved because I believe John 1.12. And I trusted the Son of God. I believe with all my heart and I follow him. I don't just keep in my back pocket. He's my life. He's my future. If you couldn't raise your hand, I'd like you to take my hand. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to answer your questions. I'd like to take as long as it takes for you to finally say, I'll follow Jesus Christ. You don't need me. You can write where you're sitting. You can, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. God, you made it so simple, and I've made it so complicated. My, my church makes it so hard I never knew going in or out what was happening. But here I found out just to believe on you, I'd have eternal life. Just to turn from what I think, what I believe, what the world thinks, and what the world says, and just turn to you and just trust you, I'll do that now. I don't understand it all. I don't know what all is going to happen, but I want it to happen. And by faith, I trust that one, one name to make me whole so tired of faking it, not ever being able to enjoy it because it's never been real. And I, I ask that God would make it real. Why don't you pray something like that? It's not the prayer you pray. It's the person you trust. Do you trust Jesus Christ? Will you trust him now? If you will, then tell God. You wouldn't be ashamed of it, would you? Father, I pray that you bless your people today. Today. May we rejoice in the simplicity of Christ. That's the purpose of this church. We don't make it, we, we try not to make it complicated. We don't want to make it anything except about your son. So Lord, please, may no one go out of this room the way they came in. May no one come go away not rejoicing in the gift of God, which is eternal life given to us through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, we, 22 years we've been doing this, preaching the same message, that we stay faithful. Every Christian in this room to resolve, Lord, that's a message worth preaching every week, all week. I read a 
little blurb this, this week that said, out of 100 people, one will read a Bible. The other 99 will watch the Christian. God, the world doesn't read their Bible. May they watch our lives and see what it means to be a Christian. May we stay faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.